Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton with Row underway. Sixth and Peabody, our location on this Monday edition, jam-packed edition. Plenty of headlines from the weekend. You can join us across the network on this great radio partner and live right now on YouTube. Simply search out Outkick. We hope you'll subscribe if you have not already. Hit that like button and join us in the chat. Chad, it's already fired up, you said. Good afternoon. Chat is going. It's ready. We are going. We're ready. Big show today. Great guest list and a big weekend to react to. Charlie Arnault will join us. Very special guest uh, to the program, Chad. Uh, she will join us coming up Very in special. hour number two. Looking forward to hitting some uh, some headlines from the weekend with her. And George Savarikas, uh, play-by-play voice for uh, the PGA Tour and much more uh, with the Golf Channel. Uh, ESPN Plus, he is jumping on with us in hour three. A lot of fallout from the PGA and live uh, partnership. Plus, uh, what a finish at the uh, Canadian Open. Looking forward to George rejoining the show. Uh, that's coming up in, in hour three. How about uh, how about guns over the weekend with the Twitter spat with, with Kyrie Irving? Did you see this? I did, Hutton. I did. And um, My guns have been a vow kick. I always, you know, the, the back and forth is great to follow with Guns and Kyrie, but I do laugh when the professional athlete's comeback is, let's play a game of one-on-one oh. basketball. So This would be the equivalent of Gun Show saying, let's do Avril Lavigne trivia head-to-head <laughs> to decide this. I mean, you cannot invite someone into your realm when they're outside of that realm and say, this is how we will decide this dispute that we have. No, no. It needs to be neutral needs to be something that both are as equally unfamiliar with. That's how you decide the feud, not, hey, you talking about me, let's play a game of one-on-one yeah. hoops to decide this, which is completely unfair. So who knows where, where Kyrie's coming from? Here, here's the backstory on, on it all, though. So Kyrie Irving, uh, Nike dumped him from the, the marketing campaign, the shoe deal, uh, for the anti-Semitic, uh, the, the posts, uh, the the. the promotion of a film, the NBA suspended him for eight games, and he had been considering uh, a, a handful of, of shoe companies. Turns out, uh, you know, the, the human rights activist Kyrie Irving, well, he was with Nike, but now turns to uh, Anta, which is a, a Chinese company. Big portion of the proceeds go to the CCP. I mean, it's it, it, that that was the big headline that he's joining up with them, who already have Clay Thompson. Uh, they have uh, Gordon Hayward and, and others on these multi-year million plus millions plus dollar deals. Now Kyrie is, is on board, and I don't I don't know where this got into a, a, the the a, a post about a union, but Dave Portnoy Barstool tags Kyrie Irving on a post that he was sending out. And Kyrie responds to Portnoy about, hey, we, why don't we settle this on the court 101? 101. So, of course, Guns is seeing this and does a story for Outkick on Saturday about this. And, and Guns tweets out the article 
between Kyrie and Portnoy, who have had beef since the Celtics days. Massive Celtics fan for Dave, and of course, how it did not go well uh, for Kyrie Irving. And he says that, that uh, Stuhl Presidente baited Kyrie Irving perfectly, and now literally the ball is in Kyrie's hands. No matter what, though, Kyrie's already lost. Uh, also, what athlete includes a YouTube highlight reel after being called out? And in, in Kyrie's response, challenging to 101, Portnoy, he has a highlight reel of you know his, his NBA days. And so Portnoy then posts the DM that Kyrie sent him and said, hey, you know, you know what? I, I will take you up on this offer. And we, we're going one-on-one. Just, just tell, tell me when to show up and I will be there. I'm a man of my word. So then Kyrie responds to Guns, assuming that Guns writes for, for Barstool and not Outkick. And so Portnoy gets involved and says, hey, man, wrong company. Uh, but... Let's get after it. And to Guns' credit, Chad, you and I were texting him over the weekend. He responds to Kyrie and says, hey, this is, this is Portnoy's lane here. That's a great one-on-one. Is, great uh, response uh, from Guns. The, the, the basketball on the court is Portnoy's lane. But I will challenge you, Kyrie, to a game of NBA 2K. Was it 18? Where, NBA 2K 18, which where, is very specific. Because he was on the cover, Kyrie's cover okay. on that video. I just thought this was the, the the version that Guns was best at. That's why he brought this up. We maybe not. And 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 what's at stake if Kyrie beats Guns at NBA 2K18? He will never mock flat Earth theory again. But Chad, he leaves it open ended. If Guns beats Kyrie, what happens? And can we host this here? I'd, I'd love to host it here. We can, we've got some of the biggest screens in Nashville in front of us. Kyrie's got to come to Nashville at some point for something. He's got to have some event yeah. we We'd be happy to host this. I would like to see Guns take it a step further and not just not mock Flat Earth Theory, but come on this show with your scientific evidence you found to support he Flat must, Earth Theory. Like Take it to the next level where debate shows will just give you a side and you have to debate it one way or the other. I want guns to take the flat earther side <laughs> and then have to come on and tell us all about how the earth is flat. That's really the next step in all this. Maybe the most excited I was during this whole beef between guns and, and, uh, and Kyrie over the weekend was him revealing that in 2002, he was at the taping of Good Morning America when Avril Lavigne was performing in the morning on Good Morning America. Yeah. And video of 2002 guns singing along to Avril Lavigne <laughs> I've probably watched that video 15 times. Either way, well done. Let's make this showdown happen. Please. Let's up the stakes or lay the stakes down. Either way, I am all for it. Bravo, Guns, yes, for inciting well a showdown with Kyrie Gun Irving. Show. I love it. Gun show, making it happen. Great work over the weekend. Uh, so, uh, NBA Finals. We've got Game 5 coming up tonight in Denver. A chance for the Nuggets to, to knock out the Heat. Uh, Conor McGregor knocked out the heat mascot, sent him to the hospital, to the, to the emergency room. Clearly a bit. And McGregor punches the heat mascot, Bernie is his name, and then comes back over the top with another punch straight to the face that sent the mascot to the ER. He's fine. He's going to be back in action if there's another home game. 
But, I mean, you mess with, with Connor. And, and, and McGregor is thinking here, at least I think so, there's no way he's going to feel this based on what he's wearing, right? With the, or, with the mascot head? Or he's just so hardcore he can't fake a punch. And he just, once he gets going, he, he just can't allow himself to get out of that mode and just follows through on it. Because, I mean, it's it's a pretty extreme thrown punch for a for a bit also. I, I, I mean, I, something happened. Something went awry here. Yeah, McGregor's on the court uh, promoting a cooling spray uh, to help you heal faster. And, well, the mascot's going to need that. Uh, it was such a, a story, even Eric Spolstra was asked about this. How does it say about your mascot that he can take a, country, a punch from Col- Conor McGregor, bounce back, and still be ready to go likely in the next home game? That's the Miami Heat toughness. That we're <laughs> he should have been allowed to, you know, take the first swing. Um, yeah. We, we won't reveal who, who that is, but he's tough. He can take a punch and get back up. And, yeah, he's not going to miss any time. Are the Heat going to be able to get back up down 3-1? Chad, because the the Denver Nuggets are they are rolling, they are dominant, and I realize they're facing the eight seed here, but they have a chance to start a run of greatness. They really do. This is not this is not some one off. It, it may be. It doesn't have to be. This does not have to be the Toronto Raptors or the Dallas Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki or the Milwaukee Bucks right now under Giannis winning yeah. the one title. This is really set up for a possible dynasty for the Denver Nuggets. They've got one of the best owners in sports, Stan Kroenke. Recently won a Super Bowl with the L.A. Rams. And Stan Kroenke said the following to Marca, which is a Spanish sports publication, about Nikola Jokic. To me, he's the, been the most amazing thing ever. Again, to me, he's been the most amazing thing ever. I've watched a lot of basketball. I played basketball. I love the game. My son played at a high level. Nikola Jokic is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in basketball. Now, somewhat biased considering that he's the owner of the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic was discovered in the second round and has become a global phenom in the game of basketball and is helping the Denver Nuggets possibly to their first NBA championship after 47 years of existence. High time in Denver, and not just because pot's legalized in Colorado. (laughs) It's a high time because their Nuggets are on the verge of a championship. But this could be multiple championships for the Denver Nuggets. Why? Think about their team control for this roster. I'm just going to go through the starting five. Jokic under team control through 2027. Jamal Murray, that's the one they got to figure out. Team control for the next two years, but he's due a max contract. Aaron Gordon, team control through 2025. Contavious Caldwell Pope, player option through 2025. Michael Porter Jr., team control through 27. Bruce Brown, who was big in that game four win coming off the bench. They got to figure him out. They've got him through next year, but that's it. Christian Brown, who's also been an emergent player throughout these playoffs. They have him locked up through 2026. So the Denver Nuggets could go from also ran punchline never won anything quickly to a team that's going to win multiple championships over the next four well, or five years. That, that's the opportunity they have starting tonight with a win to win their first. They've got a great chance at multiple championships. This does not feel like a one-and-done, not fluke, because you win a championship and there's no fluke to it, but th- this feels more like a lasting thing with this organization and this core 
as opposed to one championship. I feel like I've missed the, really the, the climb up the hill, up the mountain for this franchise because they've got, at, up until this year, the back-to-back MVP in the league, and you know there was not much attention paid to them while they were making this climb. You know, the Warriors were, were not winning immediately, but when they did kick down the door, there was investment with the style of offense, the fact that you knew the coach was going to stick around. I think Malone plays a big factor into this too. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, there's no reason why they can't based on contractually how things are set up for Denver. And they have the owner that's willing to spend the money. Stan Kroenke's maybe the biggest piece of all of this. Yeah. This is a guy who knows what he's doing, owns multiple teams across multiple sports, but we've, we're have we not as much reliant on the super team era as we were during that era. I think the Phoenix Suns are going to be an interesting case study this next year with the late addition at the end of the year of Kevin Durant. Are they going to challenge? Are they going to win a championship going with that model moving forward or – this more homegrown, sprinkle in some great additions going into this year. Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown. Those aren't star stud players across the league, but they're stud players for this Nuggets team because it's exactly what they needed to go with Jokic and Murray. Is this going to be the model now moving forward? We're going to see the Nuggets have a great opportunity to win multiple championships coming up starting tonight. And they got a chance to wrap this thing up in five games. And how about the uh, uh, Serbia on the global stage? Jokovic went, wins again uh, at the French Open. 23 uh, titles now. All-time leader for, for men in, uh, in tennis. And you've also got Jokic, who is dominating on a fashion that we haven't seen in a while uh, in, in the NBA. 0.1% of the population lives in Serbia. And they produce some of the best athletes on the globe. Really do. Is Novak Djokovic the most, the quietest, greatest ever of any sport? And what I mean by that, he's not a quiet guy. But when you just go through, this is the greatest ever. This is the great. He is the greatest ever in tennis. And I wonder yeah. if it's because his contemporaries well, were Federer and Nadal, who are also on the top five list of greatest ever, and they all happen to compete at the same time over the course of their career. They, there, it, there, we never had the Novak Djokovic era. It was the Djokovic, Nadal, Federer era over the course of, you know, gosh, the last 20 years when you look at their careers. But it really is remarkable to think about how great this guy oh, is. And, and, and it sneaks up on you that that's 23 Grand Slam titles for Djokovic. And there, I mean, Incredible. there's an argument to me. It, should, it could be 25 because he was held out of two. Two title uh, yeah. chances based it, on the vaccine status. Um, so I mean, I, he managed to break Nadal's record. Either, even though that was that was going on too. Uh, I mean, that is purely dominant in, in what they're doing, and we're seeing it on the court tonight as well uh, for Denver. High time for Serbia and and for Denver. Yep, no Always doubt. for Denver. Right now for Serbia. Coming up, news is abundant across the NFL, but. There's only a very small percentage that we say you should pay attention to. We've got four big headlines over the weekend from the NFL. Are we buying that it's actually a story as we sit here in June? Is it going to matter in September? We detail and break that down next on Hot Mike. 
Hi, Mike with Hunting Withrow rolls on. Chad, it's rare, at least in the last decade, that the NBA title uh, and you've got a, a chance, I guess, tomorrow where you've got the Stanley Cup final that we could see the, the Stanley Cup skated on home ice as well. Normally it doesn't happen in both, especially in hockey. In recent memory, it's been on road ice. We get a chance to see uh, the, uh, the Cup skated at home. I got to be totally honest here. I have not seen a single second of the Stanley Cup final. Not one. Have not mistakenly run across it and seen Vegas. it. I have not seen one second of it. I do not care I'm about a, the Florida Panthers or yeah. the Vegas Golden Knights in the least. Well, if and if started, you gave me a list of power four sports franchises I care less about, <laughs> there may be four or five that make that list of all power five sports as opposed to Vegas and the Florida Panthers. And I think most of America, and quite frankly, North America, even Canada, yep. they don't care about these two teams either. And I don't mean that as a diss to their organizations or what they've accomplished. No one cares. That's what I mean by that. No one. No one that I know. I have not seen a single person come to me and say, have you been watching that Panthers-Golden Knights series? <laughs> not Every time I one. check the score, it's a, I mean, it's boat race. Not a single person. I, I know one team's up three to one. I'm... I'm Sparse on who that is. Vegas? Vegas. Vegas up 3-1? to one? Yeah, Okay, good. I got dominant. that part right. Year six, they're going to skate the cup. How about that? Um, there are only a handful of headlines that at least I say you should pay attention to this time of year. Don't get caught in the clickbait drama of NFL minicamp. handful of them were last week. The majority of them are this week across the NFL. I do think there are headlines worth paying attention to. But for the most part, there's nothing that's going to happen last week or this week that we will reference, that you will reference in regards to your favorite team by the time September and October roll around. Unless there's a major injury that happens on a non-contact drill or you have a, a holdout that then leads into training camp and there's more drama there. There can also be big signings. But by and large, don't feed into the mini-camp hype because... I mean, it does lend to more speculation at the bar than results on the field. Davey Hudson's bringing some of the top headlines from the weekend, from either the, the first week of mini camps as they rolled through, or what could happen this week on the practice field for the vast majority of the league. Davey, what do you have? So, guys, whenever I throw this out to you, I want you to tell me if, if this is true or false based off the statement. You can give me some pros, cons. Really just want to dive in, see how you feel about it. But the most notable player free agent on the market right now is wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Do you believe that DeAndre Hopkins is worth the risk for any team that is looking to currently sign him? Chad, I don't know if it's for any team that's looking to sign him. 31 years old, and there is risk with that age. There's also, that history shows, some of the, the more dominant wide receivers over, over the course of the, the sports history past the age of 31, have been able to put up numbers. That's, that's not something that's just an anomaly. Um, in, in regards to uh, post-31, for instance, um, Jerry Rice, uh, Derek Mason even, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Tony Gonzalez continued his career long after uh, 31. Larry Fitzgerald, Tim Brown. And we're talking some of the, the best of the best. Uh, Marvin Harrison, Steve Smith with the Panthers. You can list those off. 
but it's a very small list. And I think the concern would be at what point do you not bring in the older receiver expecting one last flash. But I do think it's worth the risk if you're Kansas City, Buffalo, Cleveland. I'm not leaning into it as much if I'm Tennessee or New England. He's currently in Nashville today. Scheduled to go to New England at some point, although Bill Belichick refused to say when those scheduling plans were going to happen or even if it was confirmed that it was going to happen directly after his visit here with the Titans. I don't ask this question to be a smart aleck. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. What is the risk in a league where you can cut ties so quickly and you can manipulate things and ask star players to take pay cuts and work the salary cap with money on the front end versus money on the back end and do all of this and stay in relatively good shape if you know what you're doing in the front office. I don't see any risk involved. What, what, what is the big risk well, of signing him the risk, for a team? So the, here, the risk would be you would, in order to make space on the salary cap, you would extend a contract of a veteran that either you don't intend to be here long-term, so you're going to eat the money later after both of these guys are no longer on the roster, or you extend a contract for a guy that's coming off injury. There's an example of that here in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. Will Levis is going to be the quarterback next year. And Harold Landry. They could extend and rework his contract. He's coming off an ACL. And they gave him big money, and you, I wouldn't want to extend and kick the can down the road and give more money up front in order to do that for a guy coming off injury. Again, that's the risk, is you're giving more money to another player that either you're not... Players respond to ACLs differently. Uh, meanwhile, Tannehill, I think it's, it's assumed this is his last year uh, with the Titans, at least starting at the quarterback position. But the case as to why, I mean, the, the whys outweigh the why-nots. But again, like I'm bringing them in based on championship value, and I don't. I mean, the Patriots and the Titans aren't winning the Super Bowl this that, year. That's and that's where I was going to go next. It's absolutely worth the risk, I think, for almost any of these teams because of how you can get creative to work yourself out of it, even if it doesn't work. But I'm more about propensity to take the risk based on likelihood of a championship. And to me, that's a two-team race right now: Kansas City, Buffalo. Is it worth it to those teams? 100,000%. It's worth it to either one of those teams yeah. to pursue and sign DeAndre Hopkins for Kansas City to win multiple titles and try to go back-to-back, -back, and for Buffalo to try to win their first. So, yes, I think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it to go all out if you're Titans or New England because, like you, Hutton, I don't think either one of those teams are anywhere close to competing for a championship. No, and in order to compete, I do think they need another player like him. He, he missed six games due to a PED suspension. He still caught, he had more receiving yards than all of the receivers that were on the roster last year in Tennessee combined that have returned to this year's roster. He had 700 and something yards, and he, and he missed six games down the stretch, and it wasn't like Kyler Murray was wheeling and dealing. But whenever Hopkins was on the field with him, Murray played very well. So... To answer your question, Davey, I do think it's true. It is a true statement. I do not think it's true for every franchise that's bringing him in. He's not worth the price, and I think the price is going to be a little bit higher than what I would be willing to pay for some of the teams that are looking to contend for a division, not for the Lombardi Trophy.
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which other teams he decides to visit because right now you could argue the Titans and the Patriots have the worst wide receiver rooms in the league at the moment. Guys, our next question, we go to a team that actually was not far away from making the Super Bowl this year. And the question is, Brock Purdy is the only solid option for the 49ers. That's, that is a headline in San Francisco based on the practices uh, I, that were observed. Can that, I jump in first that, on this that one? Trey Lance and, and um, Sam Darnold did nothing to garner any attention away from Brock Purdy. This is a false statement. So false. I, I am sorry, but Brock Purdy is a nice story. Brock Purdy is not a long-term great NFL quarterback. Brock Purdy is a product of a long-term great offensive system under Kyle Shanahan. You can get a lot of quarterbacks to perform at a Brock Purdy level in San Francisco. I am convinced that that front office knew what they were doing when they traded up to number three and got Trey Lance. has not worked out from an injury standpoint, but I think if Trey Lance stays healthy over the course of the last year, he could be just as good and probably a lot better than Brock Purdy. I, this is the, ran, the the weird, random, not random, but it's because of how they do business there. This is the exception to the rule across the NFL, that it is not quarterback dependent. Not completely. You can't have someone awful at quarterback that's constantly making mistakes, but the 49ers don't need a star quarterback to get to their conference championship game. They've proven it time and time again. Jimmy Garoppolo's no star. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't elevate. Jimmy Garoppolo's a game manager. Just like Brock Purdy. Trey Lance could be better than that. Sam Darnold could succeed and get this team wow. to a conference championship game <laughs> in San Francisco. I say this as a total compliment to Kyle Shanahan, who I believe to be an absolute stud of a head coach and an offensive format maker in the NFL. That, that's what he does. Brock Purdy's not the only guy who can succeed in San Francisco. Well, and again, I think this is leaning into a couple of days that are mandatory and saying, hey, I guess what they've been saying about Purdy, but in the, the 49ers have already said Purdy's the leader in the clubhouse whenever he's healthy. But I think that's the, that's the issue here. I think the statement's false because I think the trends have been with Shanahan's offense and with the way these quarterbacks have played, they're going to play a lot of them and they're going to rotate them based on guys getting dinged, banged up, missing a series here, a game there. I, I, I don't know if Trey Lance finishes a season, and when Brock Purdy starts the season, I mean, he played, what, seven games? Hurt his elbow. Nearly had Tommy John surgery. I mean, there's no guarantee that he's coming back looking anything great either. I'm, I'm fascinated by the, by the story, and he's got... Now Shanahan has guys... He has two guys coming off of injury, and he has Sam Darnold, who's a reclamation project that's, uh, at best, a, a backup out west right now. The, the answer's false simply because I'm not sure I buy into the fact that these guys are long-term solutions because of the health concerns. All right. I thought you guys answered that very well. Uh, we're going to keep this thing moving in the next question. We're going to be talking about a running back here. Does Dalvin Cook make the Miami Dolphins a Super Bowl contender? Chad, your thoughts? Yes. And no. <laughs> here's, here's why. Okay. I, I want to believe that the Miami Dolphins, this is a great segue, by the way, Davey, from the 49ers story to this one, because I think Mike McDaniel and what he's trying to do with the Dolphins, you could compare to the 49ers, where, where he came from, right? That it's not totally quarterback dependent. 
on what happens in Miami. But the Dolphins will only be a contender if Tua can stay unconcussed over the course of the year and, and play. It, it, they're not the 49ers. They're, they're not there yet. They're not one. I just put this in the YouTube chat. I would take 15 to 20 backup quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and I bet they could win a playoff game with the 49ers. That is how good their roster is and their setup is, and that is different from everyone else in the NFL. The Dolphins aren't totally different yet. They could get there. And why I say yes and no is because Hutton, I think Dalvin Cook, helps them get closer to that point from a roster standpoint where they're not totally quarterback dependent. I'm not willing to go that far yet, though, because it's still a team that needs to, uh, to stay healthy for the majority of the year, and he's not proving that he can do that. The answer is true. Dalvin Cook would make the Miami Dolphins a Super Bowl contender. I don't think, based on the trends and what we've seen over the, the recent years, that paying a top running back in the league and having him count a big portion of your salary cap then leads you to winning the Lombardi Trophy. And for instance, over the last nine Super Bowls, the champions, none of those teams, the winning team in the Super Bowl, have had a running back that counted more than $2 million against the cap that given year that led them in rushing yards that season. Leonard Fournette counts four times, by the way, on this list of the last nine. But here are the names and the teams that won the Super Bowl and the leading rusher for that season. And keep in mind, a lot of them are below a million dollars. Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs last year. Cam Akers with the Rams. Fournette with the Bucks. Damian Williams with the Chiefs. Sonny Michelle with the Patriots. LeGarrette Blunt with the Eagles and the Patriots in back-to-back years. C.J. Anderson and LeGarrette Blunt again with the Patriots. Anderson, of course, with the Broncos. Point being, the trends are you get it done at a cheaper rate in the backfield right now in the NFL. I do think, though, that the addition of Dalvin Cook makes Miami very similar to the San Francisco 49ers. Short passing game. And here's the difference between the two rosters. Yes, the 49ers are way more dominant defensively. There's more explosion for the Miami offense on the outside. And if Tua stays healthy, yes. But it's the addition of Dalvin Cook and the versatility, both in the run game and the threat, plus the passing game, where I think you really see the weapons flourish for the Dolphins. Yes, they're in the mix for the Super Bowl conversation. But recent history will will show you don't pay big money against the cap in that position and then go on to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. You can do it this year, though, because two is still playing on that rookie contract. Picked up the fifth-year option. Another prove-it year for him. And he was well on his way to doing that last year. But if that doesn't happen because of concussions, then, well... It doesn't matter who you have at running back or wide receiver. It's going to be a good test if they can become 49ers South Beach version. And that makes sense with Mike McDaniel there. With, right? with, with Dalvin Cook in tow, with that roster, we're, we're going to find out a lot about the similarities between those two. Davey, good work. Uh, yeah, so I, we, do, I do have one true, other question. One false, right? I do have another question I want to throw at you, just kind of wrapping all this up. 
Who do you, I know we don't know which teams they're going to be playing for, but which free agent right now do you think will have a bigger impact on their next team, Dalvin Cook or DeAndre Hopkins? That's a great one. It's hard well, to know the answer to that until I know uh, the teams they sign with. Then you can quickly say, oh, here's the match with both of those. I think Cook in Miami. Is a huge impact. Yes. But I think. Yes. Here's the thing, though. It's so many different answers. Because DeAndre Hopkins' impact for the Titans that are terrible at receiver is huge. Right. His impact for New England is enormous. But those teams aren't going to be as relevant as Kansas City and Buffalo. So it's all about what, what, what does impact mean? Because being the second, third receiver for a Super Bowl champion and having a big January where you make some big catches on a Super Bowl run, that's a pretty big impact. But statistically and impact-wise, where is he going to be most important? It's in Tennessee or New England because those teams are, I mean, they're not even mid at wide receiver. They're below. So he's going to have a bigger impact there, but what's going to be the most impactful in terms of Super Bowl contenders? It's KC or Buffalo. Yeah, and in, in Dalvin Cook's case, he makes a lot of sense for Denver too. That's the other team that's being uh, rumored uh, and pushed around there. Uh, Tua and the concussions. Uh, Tua non, the fan, the fan uh, club that was in support of Tua Tagovailoa uh, down in South Beach. Um, Carmona, Eric Carmona, uh, was his name. He recently died in a, in a car accident at the age of 30. And he left behind his wife and young children. They have raised through uh, the fan groups and support, including big donations from Tua, from Tyreek Hill, and many others, over $100,000 for the GoFundMe campaign uh, where you're able to support the family for the guy who was heading up the fan club for Tua whenever things got rolling for him prior to the concussions and everything else that took place last year. I love these stories uh, because awesome. it shows, um, and we talk about it a lot on this show, but the uniting impact of sport that a group of fans of the Miami Dolphins could get together and in tragedy, in, in lieu of tragedy, turn that tragedy into something that's going to help people that really need it in a tough time yeah. with over $100,000. This is sports at its best. It's not a force for division. It's a force for unification. It's a force for support. And that's what we see with this story. I love it. I'm with you. Don't care how he votes or how he voted. You know, you get a chance to help out your neighbor. Don't care what beer he drinks either. Well, there's also not a single reporter that has dug up an old tweet from the guy who died tragically in a, in a car accident saying, oh, are you sure you want to support this? Because right. they tweeted something that well, they is another good with. example from yeah. last year and everything that I went agree. to uh, the charity uh, based on what happened on the field um, in, on Monday Night Football. Chad, coming up. We still have something, America. That's what we're trying to say. We still have something. I'm not sure, though, if we have the ability to survive in the jungle the way four kids did. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure. Four kids. I do not. Wait until you hear the ages. I do not. Four kids survived over a month alone in the jungle, and they were found alive in Colombia. The details are crazy. Option this movie right now. The someone. details are crazy. It is a real-life lost story. That's next on Hot Mike.
6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hunting with Row Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Coming up, Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. The best friends in New York. Who would have called that? Rodgers beat a great teammate. All it took was a change of scenery. <laughs> That's it. And new, new, newfound respect, by the way, for John Sterling. Yankees play-by-play voice. Uh, that's also coming up. Chad, um, I don't know what nightmare fuel this would give you, but for me, like just two days in a jungle is all I would need to go crazy. Maybe it's just 24 hours. Who knows? Two hours. Possibly. So there was a, a plane crash in the Amazon where when they found the plane, I believe it was 16 days later, after searching for this this very small plane that went down in Colombia, they found three adults dead at the scene. But they knew that in the plane there was a a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, and an 11-month-old. And they found them alive in Colombia after 40 days alone in the jungle. That is crazy to think about. And, And the detail and the plan for which they, they went about to go and find these kids. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. It makes common, it's common sense, but at the same time, like, man, I wouldn't have thought of that. They were just dropping off food in the middle of the jungle, hoping... It's like a five-kilometer radius they were searching. Yeah, it was like a three-mile or something. Yeah, it was a, a three miles. And they dropping off food, hoping that they would find it. They had... Uh, Flares, they had planes fly over the jungle and then shoot flares so that searchers at night could see around. They, I believe they had what their grandmother, who voiced like something over a loudspeaker that told them and asked them, hey, you know, we're, we're searching for you. Stay there. Stay, stay put. Don't move. Stay exactly where you are. And it took them 40 days in this dense jungle to find them. And they found them alive. Crazy. Nuts. In the photo, one of the soldiers that found the children's feeding the 11-month-old a bottle. Yeah. And they were able to track them also because of diapers being discarded. Okay. I mean, think about a 13-year-old changing the diaper of an 11-month-old in the jungle, in the Amazon rainforest over 40 days. The amount of care it would take to survive on your own for that amount of time. This is a, a, a group of kids who are part of an indigenous tribe in Colombia. And uh, uh, reading the stories about it, everyone believed that the 13-year-old would have been capable to survive even longer mm. by himself. Now, the key was keeping everyone else alive during that time, but that he would have the training and the wherewithal to survive even longer on his own in the jungle because of the tribe that he belongs to. So just an insane story and one that's got a happy ending, which is crazy to think about. 40 days. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the full details, according to the AP on, you know, they they lost the the plane, of course, on radar. Um, Don't know the details of any of that or like the full medical report of the kids. But that's a movie. And it does, it, 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 you uh, turned me on to Lost. This does feel like that show to me. Yeah. But, I mean, it's lost with just children, right? I mean, yeah. no, no adults, uh, not a huge group to you know, survive a- alongside. It just, 
I mean, we'll get more and more details. There's going to be some huge profile done of those 40 days and what it was like. Or maybe those kids don't want to talk about it. But they're going to be under medical care for a while uh, to get adjusted after that. But, man, oh, man, crazy to think about 40 days in the Amazon rainforest with children and able to survive and keep an 11-month-old alive yeah. the entire time for little kids to do that. Not the parents, but little kids to be able to do that. Remarkable. A lot of different groups came together to make that search happen, but just a, a, an amazing story. Um, Ted Kaczynski wish he could have been in the middle of the, of the wilderness here, like he was. What was it, Montana? Uh, the Unabomber? Uh, he terrorized the, the country remotely. He's dead at the age of 81, died in his prison cell. He was at the maximum uh, federal, uh, federal uh, max in Colorado, but he had recently been moved to North Carolina due to uh, uh, medical issues. So it was like a hospital uh, maximum security stay for him in North Carolina. That's where he died. Uh, but what was it, the late 70s until the mid-90s? I remember being in middle school when this was going on when people were opening up packages and stuff and you know the bombs and i think he ended up killing three or four people during this three three. yeah i think he wounded 23 others yeah i mean a a number of people what was the the show on is it netflix yeah it's manhunt yeah that was a great that was a great miniseries that was uh rudolph Right, they did. I haven't seen They've the one. Done on, two of them. I didn't see the one on Unibomber. They did one on Rudolph in the Appalachian Forest, where he was. Uh, he was. David, who started this days. one uh, with the well, Unabomber? Oh, it was Sam Worthington. Yeah, and okay. I've yet to watch that one. I, I, I need to get to that one. This news broke on Saturday when I was at the softball tournament. I just turned to the parents and said, looking at my phone, "Oh, the Unabomber died at 81," and it just got a collective, "Huh, okay, interesting." That was it. Like, didn't Nothing know else. he was still alive. Kind no, of thing. just yeah. Everyone's like, I "Didn't." That's a that dead or alive, that's a game you could play with the Unabomber, and most people wouldn't know. Now you know. What was the manifesto? Like a, it was like a forty thousand word. Well, I, I don't know the name of it, but the entire idea was about how we needed to go back to before the industrial revolution. The idea of having electricity, just all these modern appliances at our disposal, was bad for society. So he was just like anti anything technology. Chat GPT killed him. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you can watch a lot about militias in Idaho and Montana, and this is the thinking behind a lot, is just minimalization of everything. I, I just found And eliminating this, things from your life. Found this man fascinating from the idea that he pretty much went to Harvard at 16. He had genius level IQ, but his disdain yeah. for the world just got to a point to where he decided, I'm going to start killing people. And one of the things, though, that, you look at with him living out in that cabin in Montana, that was a 10 by 12 foot cabin. So they thought the idea of this guy lives like this alone, isolated from the rest of the world. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to put him in a seven by 12 foot cell where he has to spend the rest of his life. Well, the word manifesto made me think about this. Can we chat GPT this and figure it out? Do I have to kill a lot of people to write a manifesto or can anyone write one? How do you cross over from essay or journal or diary to manifesto what's the qualifications to write a manifesto ever yeah. since i've heard the word manifesto over and over again i've yet to find anyone that can answer that question how do you go from journal to manifesto is it a lot of death that you caused do you have to be a villain of some sort 
How do you write a manifesto? This is not like a mission statement from Jerry Maguire, but a manifesto. I'll do some research. I did find some jokes from 1996 that I would like to tell about them. I'll get through this really quickly. Thanks to Tony Kornheiser for this. Kornheiser. You have 20 What's seconds. the difference between Demi Moore and Theodore Kaczynski? They both have bombed repeatedly, but she hasn't killed anyone yet. I would have went with a joke about neither one of them shaving. What's the difference between a disgruntled <laughs> postal worker and the Unabomber? A Harvard education. And finally, what's the difference between a Frenchman and the Unabomber? A Frenchman might have bathed at least once since 1978. <laughs> New respect for John favorite. Sterling. Too much given to Sue Bird. That's next.